Turn your Bibles this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. I started a series last week called Before and After. Can you say that with me? Before and After. And it's a picture of how our life changes when God begins to move in our hearts. How I many know everybody's got a before and after? This, this morning I'm going to say we've all got an old life and a new life. And you may remember last week as we looked at uh, on, uh, in our Easter message, our Resurrection Sunday message, we looked at the empty tomb. And you remember Resurrection morning, they, uh, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, another Mary, and they met an angel there. And the angel said, go tell Jesus' disciples and Peter that he's risen from the dead. Now, we talked about why and Peter. I suggested to you is because Peter had just miserably failed just a couple days earlier. He denied Christ. And it was almost as if the angel was telling those girls to tell Peter, look, go tell Peter the failure that God's more concerned about his future than his past. Let me say that again. God's more concerned about your future than your past. God's more concerned about what will happen in your life tomorrow than what happened last night. Yeah, so this kind of sense before and after is what we're looking at. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the text in the series. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ is a picture of a believer. It's a picture of someone that's following God, someone that's born again, someone that's saved. I mean, you can be in Christ or out of Christ. See, I'll preach shorter if you'll, you know, talk to me a little bit this, 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 this morning. It's kind of dialogue at this point in time. But everyone, I'm hoping, makes steps to Christ. An initial step to become in Christ when you're born again, when you're saved, when you give your life to Jesus. But the rest of our lives will be lived following Him. Now, uh, it goes on to say, He is a new creation. Now, those words are significant. If you told me that when I was, say, 18, even in my early 19 years of age, I wouldn't have had a clue what you're talking about because I was not a new creation. I just thought you went to church. You're more good than you are bad. You do your best. You make, you know, New Year's resolutions and cross your fingers, cross your legs, knock on wood and try real hard to keep them, and that was it. But something happens when you surrender your life to Christ where God changes you on the inside, where the religious things are not done because you have to but because you want to. You're not just trying to miss hell and just see what little you can do to get to heaven, but you really want to love the Lord with all your heart. It's called being born again. It's a spiritual transformation, just like the caterpillar becoming a butterfly through something that is, in some sense, I don't like the word magical, but I'll use it. And I don't mean, I don't mean the magician, but I mean it's got something supernatural about it. It's the hand of God that changes or transforms us from one life into the next. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, this is not just the testimony of the preacher today, but I've recorded one of my friend's testimony about his before and after. And uh, take a peek to uh, listen to Jason's testimony, and then we'll be in Hebrews 11. Jason, tell me your name and a little bit about yourself. Uh, Jason Roy, I'm uh, 40, 40 years old. I'm a father of four beautiful daughters and a lovely wife. I uh, am a part of a uh, family-owned construction business uh, here in Texarkana, and uh, uh, just uh, became a member of Church on the Rock uh, less than a year ago. Like me, you have a before and after story. What was your life like before you came to Christ? Uh, drugs, alcohol, um, a lot of anger issues, um, just uh, just living in the flesh, basically, is what my life was about. Were you really happy with all that? At the time, I didn't know what I was, what I was actually doing. Uh, uh, it, it uh, as as I look back now, it was completely miserable. 
uh, at that time in my life. And uh, seven, it's, about, it's about seven or eight years ago, uh, I uh, was about to lose everything that I had due to, due to alcohol and drugs. My family, I was going to lose my business, I was just about to lose everything. And uh, Well, how has Jesus changed all these things, or has he affected your life? He, uh, he, he intersected, he gave me the strength, I know that now. Uh, what he's done for me in my life. He's, he's given me the strength at that time about eight years ago to quit drinking, uh, drugs, partying, uh, all that, and uh, and put a godly woman in front of me uh, at that time and uh, started changing my life um, about seven or eight years ago. And uh, back about, I guess it was about two years ago, uh, was when uh, my wife got me a daily reading Bible. And that's when it really started to change for my life. Praise the Lord. Well, what's your life like now? How's it different? <laughs> well, I, I am uh, back about eight months ago. I uh, joined the church here, and uh, the Lord uh, touched my heart and showed me uh, what love, His love, His great love is all about. And... Uh, and I'm full of the Lord right now, and, and just uh, just just uh, wanting more and more every single day of my life. I, I am a uh, now I'm the spiritual leader in my family, and uh, leading my family down a path that uh, that I am very proud of. Well, has it has it affected your business, your family life, your sense of inner peace? It has. It, it's it's I, I am actually it, it's affected my business tremendously. It's, uh, it's given me a lot bigger, uh, a better positive outlook. On business, things are tough now, but uh, I know the Lord's got great things in plan for me and my family. Um, I have, uh, I've just, I've just got a great peace about me and, and and where I'm going in my life. Jason, is there anything else that you'd like to say to people about the new life versus the old life? I, I can just promise you this: if if you just turn it over to the Lord, it 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 will get better each and every day of your life. Well, give him a big hand. How many can say, that's happened to me? I, I once was blind, but now I see. I once walked away from God, and things are way better that I'm walking with God. Hebrews 11, verse 30 says, It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. Archaeology verifies this today. That ancient city was there. These walls actually crumbled down, as the Bible said. But verse 31 is the interesting verse of the morning. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, how in the world did a prostitute named Rahab end up in one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament? Again, I ask a question and you have some kind of reply. Kind of makes you scratch your head, doesn't it? Because think, this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, are some of the greatest people that ever walked this face of this earth. You've got Moses, you've got Abraham, you've got Sarah, you've got Noah, you've got Gideon. I mean, you have this long list of people, and right in the middle of it is this gal who is a prostitute. And the Bible said she had faith, and here's the issue, she had faith to walk away from her old life into the new life that God had for her. And that, my friend, is what I want to talk to you about this morning, about walking away from your old life 
and becoming the person that God wants you to be. Let's explore her story together. It's in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 is where we'll begin. And let's talk first about the world of Rahab the prostitute. Verse 1, Joshua secretly sent out two spies. Now, the period of time we're in ancient Israel's history... Moses, you remember, was the one that brought him out of Egypt, let my people go. Several millions of people cross the, uh, uh, they leave Egypt with great victory. They go through the, the Red Sea. It supernaturally opens up. They see God do miracles. But over the course of time, these people basically say, Lord, we're not going to follow you. We're pretty much going to do our own thing. We'd rather go back to Egypt. And you're not big enough to take us into the promised land. You remember, Moses sent out 12 spies to explore this promised land. It, it, it was this, it is place that flowed with milk and honey, this good place God had for them. And you remember, 10 of the spies brought back an evil report. God got upset and that whole generation died in the wilderness. Well, now it's 40 years later. Moses is dead. Joshua is the leader and he's sending two spies this time uh, into the promised land. They're crossing the Jordan River and they're going to this first city called Jericho, which was the stronghold here in this land of Canaan that was standing in their way. And he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there that night. Now, Jericho was one of the oldest cities in the world. It was a city, if you can remember, these spies, they're going in, though that they may look like the people there. How many know everybody pretty much knows the people that are coming in town? This town, Jericho, was surrounded with this huge walls. Uh, It's believed by archaeologists there were actually two walls. And some houses would be built on the exterior of the wall. And even they'd put boards between the two. And and they would build their houses here for protection. Well, these guys come in. The Bible doesn't tell us how, how they met Rahab. It pretty much doesn't say much about the story at all. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But this place was the place where the Canaanites lived. The Canaanites were the descendants of Ham. You remember one of the sons of Noah who sinned in the cave. You remember the picture? And and he uncovered his dad and, and his descendants, the Canaanites, would be cursed. These people were people of the land. They were they were living, making their living by agriculture. They grew animals, they they, they raised crops. And in their pagan religion, they believed the gods. Pagan gods were responsible for the fertility. In other words, if God was for me or one of the pagan gods were for me, my corn would make more. If the gods were for me, uh, my, my, my sheep would, would give birth to multiple lambs and everything was good. Well, somewhere in this, in this pagan worship, so fertility became very important to them and human sexuality, the sexual experience among humans became a part, literally, intercourse became a part of their worship. In the Old Testament, you'll see that there were temple prostitutes, both male and female. And this was the right in the middle of the world that this girl Rahab was born. So it's possible that her vocation was even somehow tied to the religion of the land. Well, that's what we know about the area. But I want to focus on the phrase about Rahab being a prostitute. Uh, uh, Again, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. How many know the Bible doesn't mince words? You're pretty quiet. The Bible will just call it like it is. She was a prostitute named Rahab, and they they stayed there. Now, how many know there are, if I can bring some context to our life to this, how many know that there's things that people practice in our world that the Bible condemns as sinful? 
I mean, prostitution, for example, it's outlawed in America. It's not, it's something that happens all the time, but it's not something that, you know, is a part of the laws of our civil society, except I think in Las Vegas. Is that right? Anybody know? How do you know? Only joke of the day. There's things that go on in the world and they're part of us. They're part of our laws. You know, our Supreme Court basically years ago said pornographers have a right to produce whatever they want to. They have this freedom of speech. They got a high-powered lawyer. Who knows who is on the judge? But they certainly didn't make a, 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 a law based on the teachings of the Bible. You do understand our founding fathers, when they drafted the Constitution, all these men, and we could prove this easily, were believers in God's Word. And they believed that the Bible held up the Constitution. They believed that the laws that weren't specified in the founding documents, the the people who read them would refer to the Bible. It just made sense. Uh, Western civilization was founded, you know, on the Ten Commandments, the laws of God. Uh, Christianity became the cornerstone of our life. Even our Supreme Court, the top of their building, that they have all the different religious leaders in the world, guess who's on top of that thing? It's Moses and the Ten Commandments. Well, there was an understanding in our society that when issues would come up that our founders couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't imagine at that time. For example, partial birth abortion, uh, uh, embryonic stem cell research. That's not in the Constitution, but there's a biblical principle, come on, being created in the image of God. Life is valuable. In our world today, uh, an eagle or a protected species is more important in modern America than the rights of a child in the womb. Something's happened when we got away from God's word. Well, a New Testament verse, as we kind of think about Rahab the prostitute, and, and I'm going to talk briefly about sexual morality and immorality. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, just for saying people do wrong, some in our society would call me a self-righteous bigot. Who are you the right to tell anybody anything is wrong? Well, I'm just a mouthpiece trying to help you be a part of the kingdom of God. Duh, I'm just someone who loves you probably more than your teacher did that didn't tell you the truth. That'd be a good time to say amen. Amen. Those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, how many know culture's definition of wrong is often very different from what the Bible says? Don't fool yourselves, which implies to us that you can be tricked and cause something right that's actually wrong. Those who indulge in sexual sin... Those who worship idols, it could be somehow connected to the immorality. Those who commit adultery, and it lists several expressions of sexual sin. Male prostitutes, so we have female and male. Those who practice homosexuality, but then it broadens, certainly. It says, don't you know that those will not inherit the kingdom of God who are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, who cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, how many would say that's pretty important? Would you agree that there's nothing more important in life come on, than being a part of God's eternal kingdom? And the Bible teaches us that certain behavior, though you can't work your way into heaven, the practice of certain behavior is indicative of what's in your heart and your rejection or your embrace of God. But then it goes on with a great promise in verse 11. Some of you were once like that. And he can say, praise the Lord, there is a before and an after. But you were cleansed, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how many can say, praise God, there is a before, there is an after. There is an old life and there is a new life. And I'm here to tell you this morning, the new life is better than the old. 
But let me pause just a minute and say our culture is confused when it comes to sexuality. It's confused. If you turn your television on, it used to just be late night. Now it's pretty much 24-7. Most TV shows have some theme of adultery in it. They just do. It's a part of it. That's having sex with someone other than your spouse who God blesses in the context of a, of a, of a monogamous relationship called marriage. God blessed it. It's a wonderful thing, but he put it in marriage. But if you just kind of try to get your values from life, if you pick them up from your friends, adultery is okay. It talked about homosexuality. Well, you, could be, you would be told today in school is that some people are born as a homosexual. Well, guess what? You may have been born as an adulterer or as a fornicator. Come on, sin is sin. And just because I feel some propensity doesn't make it right. This is part of the problem is that, is that we think as people that just because I feel like doing something and I enjoy something, that that makes it right. My friend, how many know God gets to make the rules and not people? You realize today if you're a licensed professional counselor, the rules are changing in their profession, so you couldn't tell someone that homosexuality is wrong. You couldn't try to show them an alternative lifestyle. That would make them feel bad. It's the world that we live in today. And I simply say it to because we're confused in America about what's right and wrong. And if you'd allow me today to just simply tell you what the Bible says, and then you make your choice about that. But I fall into the camp of people that have an old life, come on, that has a past, that has done some things that I would be ashamed of to tell you. I mean, I mean how would you like to be introduced by your past life? How would you like to be in the Bible called Rahab the prostitute? Well, here's old Joe here. This is Joe the child molester. Joe, come on up here. Tell everybody hello. Yeah, you've already found Joe on your little smart app. You know where, where he lives. Well, here's Tom. Tom the rapist. Tom, stand up. Everybody say hey to Tom this morning. Here's George over here. George, wife abuser. Come on, three times, three big divorces. Give it up for George. Been in and out before the judge. Domestic violence. Come on. Here we are. In a beautiful new suit, business suit, tie. God bless you, Mary Beth, in the back there. Embezzler. Come on, worked at the bank, president. Give it up for Mary Beth there. Come on, stole $300,000. Had a big life. We all, she all, we all went to a big party at her house. Right? We're glad you... You're being a little self-righteous on me today. I'm just simply trying to tell you, everybody has a past. And sin is sin and wrong is wrong. Come on, and God is in the redeeming business. I'm here to tell you this morning, God cares more about your future than your past. I'm here to tell you today that God can give you a new life if you're willing to walk away from your old life. But the starting place is to tell you some things are right and some things are wrong. And it's not the preacher's opinion. Come on. I'm just simply looking at the Bible and then everybody gets to make their choice. I'm preaching way better than your amening this morning. Let me give you another one. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. This is one of the best depictions of this subject of the old and the new. Now I want you to listen to this. Ephesians 4 17. It says, don't continue living like those who don't believe. How I many of the Bible says not to do something, you have the power to do it? Whatever pull you might have towards the pornography on that screen, God, come on, can give you not just willpower, but spirit power to turn that thing off, to change what's on the inside. See, it's not just God and it's not just me. It's both of us working in tandem together. My choice, my willpower, and his spirit power turns me from old into new. That was good. Their thoughts are worth nothing. Even if they have a double doctorate and head the department. If your thinking is inconsistent with the Bible, you may be an educated fool. 
I can't believe I said that in church, but it's true. Your thinking is worth nothing. Well, they don't understand because they, what's it say? This is the key. When you start turning God off, you get far from Him. And when you turn God off, it's the other side of life that makes more sense. They cannot have the life that God gives. Not because God is mean, but because they refuse to embrace it. They have lost all feeling of shame. You realize there was a day in America that a woman or a man would not be caught guilty? Come on, being immodest in public. But today it's like the more the merrier. How many know shame is a good thing? Godly sorrow, the Bible says, works repentance. But we live in a world today when the world says everything goes and anything goes. It's all up to you. Just make sure it's a consenting adult. And for those that like it to be with children, we're going to get the age down as quick as we can. It's, it's, it's the world we live in today. But I'm telling you, friends, when God begins to convict us of something, when our conscience is still attuned, when we read the Bible and something inside resonates with us, that's a good feeling not to beat you up. Come on, but that's to get you pointed in the right direction. See, what I'm talking about today is not taking away something good from you. I'm talking about exchanging something that's not so good for something that's really good. Your old life from your new. He goes on to say, They continually want to do all kinds of evil. But what you have learned in Christ was not like this. And I want you to say this with me, verse 22. You were taught to leave your old self. Hang on there just a second. That you are becoming a new person. I mean, just because you are received Christ, you pray to receive Christ. Just because you're water baptized. How many of you still got junk in your life? I'm telling you, when I got saved as a 19-year-old, some things went away. I'll tell you what, I just quit drinking beer. It wasn't any good in the first place, so that was pretty easy to quit. But there were some other things. You said, what's wrong with beer? I did things when I was drinking beer that I've been ashamed of today. See, if you'd have gone to the other church this morning, you just could have talked about Reader's Digest and, and things. Uh... Stop living the evil way you lived before. Why is that? It's because God has something better for you. It's not because he wants to take from you and hurt you. That, that old self becomes worse because people are fooled by the evil things they want to do. And they're, all their friends are doing it too. Come on, they're patting each other on the back. They found an internet article that says it's okay. Listen, the internet doesn't even know if coffee is good for you or bad for you. It doesn't even know if butter or margarine is the way to go. It doesn't know if sugar or saccharin or aspartame or now Splenda or Trivia or Truvia or what else is the way to go for something sweet. Or honey. Oh, but it can justify our sins. You were taught to be made new in your hearts. What's verse 24? To become. Become a new person. That new person is made to be like God made to be good, true, good, and holy. So here we're talking the old and the new. We're talking about Rahab. And Joshua chapter 2, let me say this to you. Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, is a picture of God's mercy and grace. When her name is in the New Testament on multiple occasions, it's not to shame her. It's a picture of mercy and grace. You heard Jason's testimony earlier today. I used to struggle with alcohol and drugs. 
Well, look where you are today. It is a testimony of the mercy and the grace of God. Because as Christians, we have an old life and we have a new life. Look in Joshua 2. Rahab had hidden the two men. Verse 8, before the spies went to sleep that night, they went up on the roof to talk with them. She went up there. And I know the Lord has given you the land. Now listen to what she said. We're afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Could you agree with me right now? Is that woman has got some revelation on faith right now. She knows that their God is not Baal so-and-so, and it's not Asherah so-and-so, but it's the Lord God Almighty. Come on, Jehovah, Yahweh, the living and the true God, and faith is arising in her heart. She said, for the Lord your God is the supreme God. In verse 12, now swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Now, let's explore Rahab just a second. How did these men end up at Rahab's house? I think it's pretty safe to assume that they were not going there to meet with the woman of the night. They were going there, my friend. If you would think about it this way, these are two strangers going in to explore this land. People don't know them in the city. Uh, there's, and when you go in, the natural place to go... Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, suggests that Rahab was an innkeeper. So she ran the Holiday Inn in her house, and all the beds were not for sleeping. But if you were a stranger coming in town, come on, guys would come in and they'd be lonely and they'd say, where does the prostitutes hang out? Uh, or they come in and say, I need a room. Where's the Holiday Inn? So it was kind of logical. But I'll suggest to you a way more uh, a principled reason, a may more, way more likely reason is that God was concerned about Rahab because he knew that she had faith in her heart and God sent those spies to her house. And it was not for promiscuity. God sent the spies to her house to rescue her. Because God saw something in her life just like he sees, saw in your life. Come on, when the Gideon came to see me as a 19-year-old boy, it was not an accident that he was there and I was there. When you went to church and heard the gospel, when somebody gave you that Bible tract that you found, come on, on the playground, when you found that Christian literature, when you accidentally turned on Christian TV, it was not just luck or arbitrary or the, or the toss of the dice. God was looking for you. And God sent someone to you because, listen, we're talking now about predestination. We're talking about God's power to look into the heart of an individual and see how they will respond to the truth of God. And Rahab had this. My friend, I want to tell you, God is a just God and there's recompense for sin, but he is first and foremost, come on, a God of mercy and a loving God. And God cares way more about your future than your past. Come on, give him a good hand this morning. And I want you to know today, I don't know what your yesterdays. I don't know what you did last night. I don't care what you did last night. God knows. There's nowhere you can go to hide from him. But guess what? He knew that when he died on the cross for you. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just give himself for us when we cleaned our act up. Come on, he picked us up out of the gutter. He, he found us in jail. And it wasn't just jailhouse religion that gets you through and gets you on good terms with the jailkeeper. It's Jesus changing your life. And can I tell you, whenever you trade your old life for your new life, you always trade up. If your car's got 100,000 miles on it, you punch your husband and say, listen, this old thing's getting old here. We need something new. He does not go out and buy a car with 200,000 miles on it. Unless he's got financial problems, and then you better help him. You understand what I'm saying? But what you do is you go find something with lower mileage. I want one with 40,000 or 20, or I want a brand new one off the showroom lot. You're always trading up. Come on. And when you leave your old life, 
I don't care if you're Rahab the prostitute. I don't care if you're a a white-collar deceiver who lies to the IRS and lies to the CPA and steals money from the bank. I don't care who you are, friend. When you trade your old life from your new, you're always trading up because God's got something better on the other side. All right, I'm going to get some of you sooner or later. Let's keep going. Uh, James chapter 2. Let's look in the New, the New Testament. And, and I want to look at two words that help you get from the old to the new. And again, I'm not talking about uh, a New Year's resolution that you never keep. I'm not talking about looking at the Bible as a self-help book that doesn't quite get you there. Isn't it amazing that the guys tell you how to get all this money and wealth? Come on. People that don't know you, people that say, if you'll just send me $99.95 or $199.95 or $999.95, I'll tell you the secrets of becoming wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. If it was that easy, why aren't they doing it themselves? Why are they wasting time, come on, with you? I don't even know where that came from, but I'm telling you, friends, everybody wants what they're offering, but how many know there's a right way to get there and a wrong way to get there? Now, listen, in the New Testament, our life begins with faith and obedience. I'm not just talking about something where God supernaturally does everything. How many know there's a God part and there's my part? James 2, verse 25, James is teaching about faith and works. And who does James mention but Rahab the prostitute? She was shown to be right with God by her So you take steps away from your old life. What were her actions? She hid the spies. She showed them. She gave them a map how to get back to their homeland. She then put the scarlet cord in the window. She did things to get her from where God had her to or where she was to where God wanted her to be. She hid those messengers and sent them safely a different road. Now, our text in Hebrews 11, verse 30, said it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who who refused God. Now... Let me ask you a question. Why in the world, why in the world would Rahab uh, listen more to two guys she didn't know than to her friends, her neighbors, the king, and all the people in that city? Why was she going to be more trusting in two men she didn't know than all these people that she knew? It's because this reason, my friend, she knew those men had God. And all she had were the false gods of the Canaanite religion. And she realized there was something more. And she put faith in that true God. Hear me now. She began to believe. And when you believe, you begin to follow. Because Christianity is like this. It's believing in Christ, but it is following Christ. See, we sometimes think believe because we read an article about the Christian life or because we read a book, then that's believing. No, believing is acting. Come on, believing is putting one step in front of the other and you literally walk away from your old life. That's why when people come to Christ, we give them a bag of information and it's not advertising the church, it's to tell them, if you will just do these simple steps, if you will get baptized in water, if you will begin to read your Bible, if you will begin to pray, if you will begin to fellowship with other believers in this thing called church, if you will grow spiritually, if you will take classes, come on, if you will get around a small group of Christians to encourage you, if you will become accountable to someone, if you will be discipled, you will walk away from your old life. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. A, a, pr- a prayer alone will not get you where God wants you to be. A prayer will get you into the doorway, but you've got to take steps to get on the other side. That's the way the Christian life is lived. Your steps, your willpower, your choice, 
plus spirit power will take you where you could never go on your own. It's like, a, it's like riding a train. How many have ever ridden a train? Yeah, not real popular today. My wife and I, many moons ago, when we got married, we did something called All Aboard Amtrak. And they would take you, you could pay so much money, and you could have several stops. So on our honeymoon, we were in California, and we got on this train. We stopped a day in L.A., glad to leave there. Uh, ended up in New Orleans, spent a little time with her uncle there. Went to Memphis, see my family. Went to Chicago, went to Seattle, spent time there and eating the, you know, seafood and everything. But whenever we would stop somewhere and it was time to go to the next location, guess what the conductor would say? You drive a train for a living? <laughs> That's exactly how the Christian life is lived. And I'm the conductor today trying to be the voice of the Holy Spirit, trying to tell you, if you want a new life, all aboard. If you want to stay where you are, stay where you are. But if you want to find yourself moving from your old life to your new, come on, you've got to begin to walking away from your old and making steps to your new, and God will make you the person He created you to be. Come on, give Him a good hand this morning. and. And we're about done today. Listen, God did it for Peter. He cared more about the failures past than his future. He did it for Rahab the prostitute. He'll do it for you and he'll do it for me. Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to close with this. It was about the scarlet cord that saved Rahab and her family from judgment. Mind you now, the spies are telling Rahab what to do before they leave her. It's verse 18. Here's what they said. These spies, you see, were going back. To Joshua and the army was about to come and they were about to take over the city It would not be a pleasant experience when we come into the land You must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down All your family members must be here inside the house Or if they go into the street and are killed, it's not going to be our fault And then we jump ahead to after the battle chapter 6 Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives because she'd hidden the spies and now she lives among the Israelites to this very day. So what's the story here? It was a piece of rope that stood between them in judgment. But it wasn't just any piece of rope. It was a scarlet-covered rope. That means it was red. It was purple. It's just like the color, come on, of the juice in your communion cup. It reminds you of something. And can I suggest to you this morning that that scarlet rope is a picture of God's plan of protection and redemption that started in the days of the Bible. The blood that was shed in the Garden of Eden when Adam clothed, was clothed and Eve with skins of animals. That blood bore that scarlet color. There was a place of safety, a place of protection on the ark in Noah's day. Noah preached for a hundred years and encouraged people to come and believe, believe God. They went inside the house just like all of Rahab's family had to go inside the room and shut the door. In Moses' day in the Passover lamb, they sacrificed a lamb because a death angel was about to pass over the city. But every time, every household that had blood on the doorpost, the angel would pass over and nobody died. That blood, my friend, looked ahead to that cross because Jesus Christ was introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I'll tell you, my friend, this last redeeming part of Rahab's story is simply this. A woman who was once a prostitute had an encounter with the reality of the living God. And she said, I will follow him. And you know what he did? He made sure she was protected. And she was recorded in the annals of history as a woman that had an old life come on. But God gave her a brand new life. And she's celebrated in the New Testament as somebody who was going one direction, but God put him on a course for something else. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Let's close in prayer. I want you to stand to your feet this morning.
I'd be delighted to pray with you. Just a few minutes, our prayer team is going to come forwards, and we'll pray with you. If there's anything that's kind of lingering after the day, we'd be honored to pray with you. But here's what I want to invite in a very specific way. You know that scarlet cord, that cord that was red, some shade of purple, was an identifying mark. She let those spies out that window, and she hung that rope out the window. And those spies told Joshua they gave their word, and everybody in the camp knew that in that house, in that one alone, where the scarlet rope is, those people are to be protected. Can I tell you, my friends, Jesus Christ was introduced to the world this way, as the one who would take away the sins of the world. And Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is God's offer of grace. The cross was a picture, a substitute. The cross was like the death chamber. It's where sins were, were dealt with. Criminals were, 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 were killed, just like they are in Huntsville, Texas, to this very day. But my friend, where the blood was there, the angel would pass over. And because of what Jesus did for us, he offers all of us the free gift of salvation. You don't have to be a member of this church to go to heaven. I have no way to get you to heaven, but I can point you to the one who does. His name is Jesus Christ. And he offers some of you this morning, if you're here, if you want the new life that Christ offers, if you want to find forgiveness of sins, if you want God to give you a brand new start, when our prayer team comes, I'm going to ask you to come right behind them and let them pray with you and show you how you can have a personal relationship with Christ. But there's many believers that are here today that for you, leaving your old life has to do with something from the past. There's something that the Holy Spirit was probably speaking to you about today. I know I've got an old past. I know I had friends in my life at one time that I had to make a choice. Am I going to continue hanging out with them? Because they're pulling me down in the ditch. Because they lead me to do things that I know in my heart are wrong, but I don't have the courage to say no and I can't convince them any other way. My friend, you might have to walk away. Maybe you're here today and maybe it's some of the trappings of the old life. Maybe it's the old music. I can tell you this from experience. If you're tapping your toe to go into the honky-tonk, I know I'm picking on country music, but going to the honky-tonk and, and sleeping with Sally Joe and then going home to Mary Sue. <laughs> Patting your dog on the way in. If that's all that's filling your mind. But I like the beat, Pastor. Okay, like the beat, but the problem is it's the words that I'm concerned about that are getting in your head. There just comes a place in life sometimes where if you want to let go of some things, you've got to cut the cord. I was on a, a houseboat one time many years ago on a vacation with a family when I was young. And we put an anchor out in the middle of the night. And unbeknownst to us, we were in the Sacramento, Sacramento area of the River Delta. And unbeknownst to us, the current came in at night. And that anchor got tied around a, tr a tree root at the bottom. And we had that old houseboat going in circles as fast as it would go. Come on. Until we finally yanked that thing up. But sometimes you're so anchored that you can't move. You just got to cut the anchor and say, that part of my old life, come on, is holding me back. And I would rather be the person God wants me to be, come on, than staying where I am. I think that can happen today if you step away from your old and step towards God in the place of prayer. See, we're only folks here. We're just people around this altar, but we're representing someone today, and we're representing the God who loves you and cares about you, and that God can help give you spirit power to believe your old life and to become the person God wants you to be. So if there's something in your life that's, that, that God is nudging you about, I'm going to encourage you to take a very bold step in just a minute and step out and let somebody pray for you. You don't have to tell them what it is if you don't want to. That's your business. But I'm telling you, there's something powerful about the symbolism, walking away from the old and stepping towards the new. 
We're going to pray this morning and then we're going to go. Our prayer team is coming now. We're just going to begin to worship for a song or two. And if you want prayer for anything this morning, you come. If you want to give your life to Christ, you come. Come on, sing, Pastor. If you want to walk away from something in your old life, you come this morning. We'd be honored to pray with you. Fall on my knees. And I this is your time.